Well, this morning, and whether you knew it or not, is a, is a special day in the church calendar. And we've said it a couple times here already. Today is Pentecost. Now, I, I'm not sure if you're all familiar with Pentecost. I'm not sure if it's something that, uh, that, that's, that's been close to you over the years. Uh, some of you may not even know the story of Pentecost. And so I thought the best way to get started would be just to read that story. So today we're going to spend the majority of our time in Acts 2. So we'll jump around to a couple different places in the Bible, but if you've got a Bible in front of you, flip to Acts 2, and you'll want to leave a finger in that chapter for the whole time that we're here, because we'll go back to that regularly. We're going to eventually go all the way through Acts 2. So Acts 2, verse 1, begins like this. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard the sound, they came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Figria and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, and Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said they've had too much wine. Now, I don't know about you. But Pentecost for me, for much of my life, if I'm honest, wasn't really all that important. I mean, I knew the story. I knew the story that we just read. I liked the tongues of fire. It was pretty great to see so many people converted at the end of the story. So if you know how the end of the story goes, Peter gives this big sermon, which we'll read a lot of today. And at the end, people came to Jesus in in huge numbers. I liked that part. I liked the story of Pentecost, but if I was really to be honest with myself, what it meant to me deep down wasn't that much. I primarily understood it, understood this event as being the beginning of the church, and that's not nothing. But I didn't see it as an event that influenced and affected my spiritual life today. I honestly was like a lot of the people in this passage Asking, what does this all mean? What's worse is that there were times in my life in which I was probably more like the people in verse 13. Assuming those who are experiencing the amazing gifts of the Holy Spirit might be a little bit off the rocker. They may have had too much to drink. Now, Pentecost has changed a lot for me over the years. I used to feel that way, whether I wanted to admit it or not. But now, and any of you who've been around me long enough know that that my opinion has changed, and I say this often, I now believe that Pentecost might actually be one of the most underrated Christian events in the Bible. 
At Pentecost, the way that God interacted with the world interacted with the world changed forever, and its impact on this world and on your life shouldn't be ignored or misunderstood. You see, Pentecost fundamentally changed the way God interacts with the world and affects each and every one of your lives every day, whether you recognize it or not, whether you realize it or not. So you may be wondering, like many of the people in this passage, many of the people who witnessed Pentecost, what does this all mean? Why is it such a big deal? And that's what we intend to find out today. So now, I had met in your, in your bulletins, there's always usually an outline, and usually I don't make one of those, but I would meant to this week. And unfortunately, I didn't get it in in time and it didn't get printed, so you will see it being blank. And that's too bad. But I did the next best thing. We'll have uh, a series of slides that essentially is that outline up there. Uh, so you can still follow along in the same way. I, I promise to do better next time and I'll have an outline in there too. Sorry about that. Uh, but to help you get started on your outline, we're really going to be focusing on the Holy Spirit today. And what the Holy Spirit means throughout the Bible. We're going to look at the Holy Spirit in three places. We'll look at the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. That's the first category of the outline. We'll look at the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, which is the second category of your outline. And then we'll look at the Holy Spirit today, and we'll see how he's moved throughout history. So if you wanted to fill in on that blank space, those three things, you'll be able to fill in more gaps as we go. So like I said, we're going to begin by looking at the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. And when we look at the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament, we need to begin at the beginning, in Genesis. In the very first verses of the Bible, the Holy Spirit makes his appearance. Now the earth was formless and void, it says. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the deep. We see here that the Holy Spirit was present at creation. He has always been and he will always be. And that's important to know that he didn't just come up later and that he hasn't had a part in the, Trinity, the movement of the Trinity. And we'll talk more about the Trinity actually in a couple weeks. But the Holy Spirit starts in Genesis, and he carries out throughout the entire Old Testament. Actually, if you were to read through the Old Testament, many of your most memorable events, many of the things that you remember from the Old Testament, those big stories, most of those probably contain the Holy Spirit. He does some pretty fantastic things throughout the entire Old Testament. But what you might have not noticed is that the Holy Spirit functions differently in the Old Testament than the New In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit was not present in everyone's life in the same way. Let me show you what we mean. We're going to take a look at two events in the life of King Saul. And in order to do that, I just want to give you a little bit of context so you understand where these two passages are coming from. The first passage we're going to look at is in 1 Samuel 10, verses 9 through 11. And in this passage, Saul has just been anointed king of Israel. So if you know the history of Israel at all, the Israelites wanted a king. They cried out to God for a king, and God finally says, okay. And so Samuel goes to Saul, and he anoints him king. That's where we are in the first passage. The second passage is 1 Samuel 19. Now this is a number of chapters later, obviously. And in this passage, Saul has now been rejected as king. So if you know the story of the the, uh, nation of Israel, you know he was anointed king. Saul does okay for a bit. Then he gets proud, then he falls, and David is anointed king. 
So the second passage we'll be reading, Saul has fallen, David has been anointed king, and now Saul is chasing David all over the place. That's the context of the second passage. So let's read them both. 1 Samuel 10, verse 9, says this. As Saul turned to leave Samuel, God changed Saul's heart, and all of these signs were fulfilled that day. When, his servant, when he and his servant arrived at Gibdah, a procession of prophets met them, and the Spirit of God came on him in power, and he joined in their prophesying. When all those who had formerly known him saw him prophesying with the, with the prophets, they asked each other, what is, this that, what is this that has happened to the son of Kish? Is Saul among the prophets? Second passage is 1 Samuel 19, starting at verse 18. It says this, When David had fled and made his escape, he went to Samuel at Ramah and told him all that Saul had done to him. And then he and Samuel went to Naoth, where they stayed. The word, uh, word came to Saul, David is at Naoth in Ramah. So he sent men to capture him. But when they saw a group of prophets prophesying, with Samuel standing as their leader, the Spirit of God came on Saul's men, and they also prophesied. Saul was told about it, and he sent more men, and they prophesied as well. Saul sent men a third time, and they also prophesied. Finally, he himself left for Ramah and went to the great cistern at Seku. And he asked, where are Samuel and David? Over in Naoth at Ramah, they said. So Saul went to Naoth at Ramah, but the Spirit of God came on even him. And he walked along prophesying until he came to Naoth. Now I love those two passages because they really show us three important things about the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. The first thing that we see in these passages is that the, in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit filled certain people and not others. The passage begins with Saul walking with Samuel. And in this particular context, Saul is not filled with the Holy Spirit. That happens later, right? We know from the context that Saul was not considered to be one of the prophets. He wasn't someone who spoke with the voice of God or made declarations from God. Until he was anointed king, the Spirit filled him, and then he began to prophesy. It's clear from this passage that something fundamentally changed in Saul's life. The Spirit's coming filled a space that was empty before. The Spirit came on Saul in a way that he hadn't before. And the second passage shows us the same thing. Saul's men were like him, not prophets, until the Holy Spirit came on them as well, which again means that he wasn't there in the same way previous. And they also began to prophesy. So what we see here is the Holy Spirit comes on and fills certain people and not others in the Old Testament. The second thing that we can see from these passages is that the Holy Spirit can cease to fill someone in the Old Testament. In, the first, in chapter 10, Saul is filled with the Spirit and is gifted with the ability to prophesy. But then over the course of time and unrighteousness that if you read through that story, feel free to do that this week, you'll see that he seems to have lost that ability. In the second passage, they even seem surprised to see Saul once again prophesying. So Saul sends his men, and they meet the prophets, and they begin to prophesy. So he sends another group of men. They also prophesy. He sends a third group of men, and they prophesy. And there are no modifiers on that in anywhere in this scripture. But then Saul himself decides to go. 
And the Bible makes sure to put it clear that when Saul gets there, even he prophesied. So what we see here in these two passages is the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament comes on certain people and not others, but he can also leave certain people once he's filled them. The last thing that I want you all to see from this passage is what happens when someone encounters the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit fills a person in the Old Testament, miraculous things happen through that person. In this story, Saul is filled with the Holy Spirit and then he can prophesy. Something he presumably could not do prior because of the people's surprise. The same thing happens to Saul's men in the second passage. When the Holy Spirit shows up, when the Holy Spirit fills them, they're able to do miraculous things. And it's fantastic in this passage, but this observation is not reserved just to this passage. In the Old Testament, every time the Holy Spirit fills up, fill, shows up, something amazing happens. Even though the manifestations of, that, of the Holy Spirit are different, they are all miracles. We saw in this passage, Saul is able to prophesy. But if you looked in the book of Judges, you'll see that when the Spirit comes to Samson, he has superhuman strength. If you read the story of Elijah, you'll see him doing many miraculous things through the power of the Spirit. He heals people. He raises them from the dead. The Spirit fills him so much so that Elisha recognizes it. And when he's going to succeed Elijah as a prophet, he asks for a double portion of that Spirit and receives it. And it also does miraculous things. When David is filled, he's able to write poetry that becomes the Psalms. He's able to lead his people with wisdom. When the Spirit fills Daniel, he, may, he can interpret visions and dreams. Same thing with, with Joseph. Solomon is granted a superhuman or supernatural kind of wisdom, a wisdom that surpasses everyone on the entire earth. And we could go on and on and on. All throughout the Old Testament, we see the Holy Spirit showing up and doing fantastic things. But only for certain people and not others. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit restricted himself to certain situations and certain people. And I want you to keep that in mind as we shift forward in time now to Acts 2, where we began today. The story of Pentecost, the one that we just read, takes place in the context that we just laid out. The people of the day would have understood the Holy Spirit through the lens that we just talked about. Through the lens of certain people being filled in certain circumstances and not others. And with that in mind, it makes the next part of the passage that much more amazing. So if you flip back open to Acts 2, we'll start at verse 14. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. 
Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in heaven above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire, billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Like we've already said a number of times, in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit only came on certain people at certain times. But at this moment, things changed. Peter declares from the, from the book of Joel, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Peter then goes on to spend from verses 22 to 38 explaining how that's possible. He says, Jesus' gift on the cross has restored our right relationship with God. He says, we've been justified. We've been cleansed. We've been washed white as snow through the blood of Christ. And so now what was not possible for everyone in the Old Testament now is possible for everyone who believes because of the blood of Jesus. Peter says, in the last days, in these days, beginning here at Pentecost, God declares, I will pour out my spirit. I will dump out. I will spill out. I will shower down my spirit on all people. No longer just the chosen few. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. It's for the boys. It's for the girls. It's for those who are young. Your young men will see visions. It's for the teenagers who are here. Your old men will dream dreams. It's for the elderly who are here. Even on my servants, it's for those who are part of every social class. Both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. You see, Pentecost fundamentally changed everything. The way we interacted with God was changed forever. These people's world was changed forever. And we see that. We see that display results all over the book of Acts. Starting here in Acts 2, at the end of this passage, we see an amazing amount of people give their lives at the end of just one sermon. But then it continues on. And more and more people are brought to Christ, and more and more people are filled with 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 the Spirit, and more and more amazing things happen. We see here, starting at Pentecost and continuing through Acts, when the Spirit is poured out, Miraculous things happen. We see people brought to faith by the thousands. We see people speak in other languages. We see people healed. We see the dead raised. We see demons exercised. We see wisdom received. And again, we could go on and on and on. So, For many of us, this story is exciting. If you're like me, stories of the miracles of the Bible, stories of when the Spirit is poured out, they're hope-producing. They're exciting. They, They get you a little bit geeked up. But my guess is that many of you are like me in another way as well. Many of you are probably thinking, these stories are great. Stories of Acts are great. But too bad that kind of stuff doesn't happen anymore. Right? What if I were to tell you that that kind of stuff can and does still happen today? 
What if I was going to tell you that I've seen it happen? That I've seen the Spirit move? What if I were to tell you that the Holy Spirit is just as active today as He has always been? The promises we see here in Acts 2 were for the people listening to it on the steps of the temple. But it wasn't just for them. It's for all of you as well. If you jump down to Acts 2.38, says, Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you, for your children, and all who are far off. For all whom the Lord our God will call. If you're here this morning and you've accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, Peter is talking directly to you. This promise is for you, he says, which is the people he's physically talking to, the people who are physically listening to him. He says it's for your children, it's for the next generation. But then he also said it's for all whom God calls, and that's all of you. The Holy Spirit has now been given to all believers. The Holy Spirit has been poured out in your life. You have all, all have access to him all day, every day. Now that may be hard for you to wrap your mind around. For some of you, your experience with the Holy Spirit is limited. And I get that. There are a lot of great things about our tradition, or about the CRC tradition. There are a lot of fantastic things. But self-admittedly, we have not always done the best job teaching on the Holy Spirit. Tony and I have talked about that before. Used to be in seminary, you had to take a class on God the Father, you had to take a class on Jesus, but the Holy Spirit was optional. That's just the way things work. But I want so I, I understand that we that we that when we talk about the Holy Spirit we don't have the right context that we're a little limited. But I do want us to understand what that's done for many of us, myself included, for a very long time. It's caused many of us to still function like pre-Pentecost believers. Let me explain. We believe in the Holy Spirit. We believe in His power. We believe he can and does do amazing things both in the past. So we believe the story of Acts 2. We believe the Old Testament stories. And we believe he can do, he can do, he can do those same things in certain places even in the present. And many of us will believe, sure, the Holy Spirit does amazing things, but he does them on the mission field. He does them in China or Malaysia or Africa. And those places maybe were where the Holy Spirit might work. Or perhaps we believe that the Holy Spirit does, does what he does in the poor places of the world. Or in the lives of the super righteous. For, for the, he, does, he does these kind of amazing things for the modern day heroes of faith. But when we slow down and look at what we're actually saying there then. Do we see what kind of thinking that is? It's a belief that the Holy Spirit is really only truly available to certain people in certain circumstances. It's living in a pre-Pentecost world. 
But we've seen here in Acts 2 that Pentecost has changed everything. James says, in James 1, If anyone lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. John, in the book of 1 John, throughout the entire book, assumes so much in the, that the Spirit will move and it's in everyone's life, that he, he says, if you need to know what's true, just ask the Spirit. And all of us are like, John, could you explain how that works? He doesn't. He just moves on. Paul dedicates three chapters of his first letter to the Corinthians, teaching us on the gifts of the Spirit so that we may not be ignorant. And in those three chapters, he does not argue about whether the Holy Spirit will move or not. That's not part of the discussion. The assumption is he will, he's there, he's going to, and so you need to learn how to do it well. There is a ton of page time in the New Testament dedicated to teaching us how to live a post-Pentecostal kind of life. A post-Pentecost life. Pentecostal might make some of you nervous, but I guess that's all right for today. The New Testament over and over and over again calls us to live a post-Pentecost kind of life. It calls us to live the kind of life declaring that, the whole, that, that with the Holy Spirit, amazing things are still possible. And so the question you might be asking is, okay, maybe that's true, but where in the world do we begin? Now some of you are here. And you're hearing this and this isn't new to you. You've lived a post-Pentecostal life up till now. You're, and if that's you, I want to encourage you. I want you to, be, I want you to hear this and take heart in that. You've, you are part of something that began nearly 2,000 years ago and continues into this present day. You're part of a series of believers that goes all the way back here to Acts 2. And that's an exciting thing. Keep doing what you're doing and take heart in knowing that the Holy Spirit functioned the same way 2,000 years ago as he does now. That the God that they serve is the God that you serve. My guess is, though, that many of you relate more to the pre-Pentecost believer. And the thought of the Holy Spirit being present in your life in real time is a little bit overwhelming. I get that. I really do. The Holy Spirit and I wrestled with each other for about seven years before I was able to live a post-Pentecost kind of life. I doubted a lot. To be honest, I scoffed. I, I, was, I already admitted it. I was the people in, in, in verse 13. I said, God, you guys are all crazy. I rejected clear movements from the Spirit in my life. I, I which Sherry pointed that out earlier this morning too, that promptings to talk to certain people, promptings to do certain things, and I just blew them off. I witnessed amazing things and said, that's just a coincidence. Over and over and over again that happened. God kept bringing new people into my life and I kept ignoring them. But God didn't give up on me. What happened? was that a mentor of mine showed me a section of James that we've already read. He encouraged me to start slow, to start small, to find section, a section of the Bible in which the Holy Spirit's promises are simple and reliable and begin there. 
And so he pointed me towards James 1, which is what we've already read. It says, if anyone lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given. What's so amazing about that passage is that it's a promise from the Holy Spirit that does not contain a no answer. It says, if anyone lacks wisdom, this includes everyone. If anyone lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously. He doesn't just slowly give it out. He generously gives out wisdom. So if anyone lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all. So we double up on the all. In case you didn't think you were part of anyone, you are part of all. Gives generously to all without finding fault. Even if you've spent your entire day messing up, sinning, whatever you want to call it. God who gives wisdom generously to all without finding fault. And it will be given, the Bible says. It's there for the taking. It's there for the asking. Now it does require faith. As the next section of scripture does say, but you must believe and not doubt. For the one who doubts is like the wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. Those who doubt should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. So I started there. I began by leaning into that promise. God promised generous wisdom to anyone who asked for it without finding fault, and it will be given. And so I decided to try it out and see what happened. To see if that was true. To see, I I believe the words of Scripture were true, and so I decided to test them out. And I'll tell you what happened. I experienced wisdom over and over and over again. I've also encouraged others to do the same, and they've had the similar experience. And they've shared those with me. If you here today are considering, from movi- considering moving from a pre-Pentecost kind of believer to a post-Pentecost kind of believer, I want to challenge you to either use this passage in James or find another one like it and see what God will do with it. Believe it or not, believe it or not there are a number, number of people in this church already doing this. There's a prayer group that meets every week. And they seek to hear God's voice for each other and for the church. And they regularly and repeatedly do. There are people here who have experienced spiritual healing, believe it or not. They're amongst you right now. People that have, that have gotten words from the Lord, that have shared them with each other. There are people who have heard God's voice and received God's wisdom. There are individuals and couples who regularly seek God's guidance and wisdom in their lives and receive it. Now, you may be hearing that and scoffing. That's fine. I understand. You, you, you may be hearing that and be uncomfortable with that. I understand that as well. But if there's even a little bit of a tug, I want to encourage you to seek out a group of people in which you can, you can when, uh, seek out a group of people in which you can begin slowly as you need to, to practice a post-Pentecost kind of faith. Like I shared, it took me seven years to even begin And I understand that may be the case for many of you. But we live in the last days Peter is talking about. God has poured out his spirit on all of you. And like in all the places in the Bible in which you meet the Holy Spirit, if you give him an opportunity, absolutely amazing things can still happen. Let's pray.
Father God, I pray that your spirit works in each of our lives. I pray that you fill us like you did the apostles the first day. I pray that we can experience your spirit in ways that we haven't before and in ways that, are, that, that seem heavier or more significant than we have before. I pray that you keep working on each of our hearts, no matter how resistant, how cold we are to it, and so that we can live in the fullness of faith that you've promised through the Bible. And we pray all of this only because it's possible through the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen. Rise to sing our last song.